Our guest today is Pam Murray, one of Charlotte's foremost cycling advocates and a bicycle rider who uses two wheels to do just about everything she needs to do in Charlotte. First question. Charlotte is usually described as an auto-dependent city. Do you need a car to get around Charlotte and live your life? Absolutely not. Tell me why. <laughs> well, I've done it for over 10 years, riding my bike daily to everywhere I need to go or whatever I need to do. And I would also add that I try to shop local to support the local economy. So when I do have to order something because everything is not on the store shelves, you can order things for uh, store pickup so that you're not in inducing another um, trip to your house. So it's more efficient for the um, distribution of the products that you're ordering. So I think that you've got a really different way of looking at the city and you really see things in a way that most people don't in Charlotte. And quite literally, that's from the seat of your bike. Uh, how did you start doing this? And how did you realize, you know, hey, I don't really have to drive my car every day. Tell me kind of about the beginning. Okay, so the beginning was as I bought bikes. My kids were learning to ride bikes. So it's 2006. My kids were four and eight years old. And they were just now learning to ride bikes. So I went to the bike shop. We bought bikes for everybody taught them how to ride the bike at the local park on the basketball court. And then I started riding more and more for, you know, recreation to get them out of the house. You know, we rode to the park, basically. We rode to Dairy Queen. We rode about around the neighborhood. And then I basically just kept riding because it was fun, you know? And so um, it was exercise. There was recreation. It was a family activity. Um, and, you know, you're out in the fresh air and you see so much, um, so much things that you can't see otherwise, right? When you're driving your car. So, you know, when I think of riding around in Charlotte, I'm basically just riding by everybody's house, you know? I mean, when people were, you know, they think back when they're eight or 10 years old and they first learned how to ride their bike and they went to their friend's house. I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, I just know a lot more people that live in a lot more places. <laughs> so I just ride to their house. And I think that that's a key difference in terms of what we're talking about here, because I think a lot of times we talk about biking around and using bikes to get around. And people like me tend to think like, what can I, how much can I do on the greenway? How much could I do in a protected bike lane? Um, you really see everywhere as the bike's domain. And I think do a really great job of showing other people that when they go out on rides, as we've done. Exactly. Talk to me about your, yeah, talk to me about your approach to riding and how you use the whole of our transportation network and how you're strategic about it too. Right. The way that I use the transportation network is through uh, using everything available to bikes. Bikes are a very specific thing where you can use not only all of the roads that are paved that most people are familiar with driving their car on. There's also multi-use paths. There's sidewalks that we can use. There's connectors um, in neighborhoods that connect one neighborhood to, to the other. We can use greenways. We can use so many more things, um, paid parking lots um, to go through that would connect to get you off a busy road, for instance. Um, so I use the entire network um, to my advantage. So, you know, including traffic signals, um, signal timing, 
pedestrian crosswalks, um, pedestrian buttons. Um, there's all kinds of things that bikes can use. And that's not even mentioning the bike specific infrastructure, um, which is an additional thing that we, we have. And I know a lot of people, you know, that's where their main focus is. Oh, we got to, you know, focus on that. But, you know, that's a very small part of the entire transportation network that we just mentioned. So if you look at it as a percentage, I mean, it's going to be, you know, less than 1% or whatever it is. If you do it by, you know, miles traveled or lane miles or whatever type of metric you want to use. So, you know, you have to look at it as an entire system that you can use to your advantage when you're riding a bike. So we've gone riding together a few times and I always start out being kind of scared of the times we have to jump on a larger road like Providence for a little while before we can get back onto uh, neighborhood streets. And then right. after going with you, I kind of realize, oh, that's not scary at all if you're smart about <laughs> it. Um, right. Tell me about how you approach those times you have to get on. Uh, a larger road and maybe what people think of or what people are thinking incorrectly about because most people if you tell them oh I went riding and we had to jump on Providence for a bit and then we got on Sardis for a bit they're like whoa you did something death defying which is right they're they're like I would never ride a bike on those roads you know I ride on all the roads and so like you know, here in Charlotte, people are like, oh, you can't ride on Monroe or Freedom or Wilkinson or whatever it is. I mean, I've ridden on all of those roads to get where I go. But, you know, just as you, you've observed, and this is why I insist on people um, riding before they make a statement, because they need to make the statement from experience, not from perception. The perception is that, you know, they're, they're stating their perception from the seat of a, a car behind a, driving, a steering wheel because that's all they know. Okay. So their perception is that they're going to be in the platoon of cars because that's where they are. In reality, when I'm riding my bike, I'm in the gap of, of all the uh, motorized vehicle traffic. So I'm not in the thick of traffic. I'm basically on an empty road because I understand how signal timing works. And we talk about that in our cycling savvy class. I'm very strategic in terms of my route planning. So I'm using low volume, low speed streets to make it very comfortable for anybody to ride. I'm like everybody else. I don't want to be on a road where people are speeding and they're going fast and the, the road's not wide enough to share and I'm getting past close. I don't want that like anybody else, but I will get to where I'm going. Um, and, you know, I've taken you on rides and we've gone on, you know, Highway 51 and Providence and Sardis and whatever it was, wherever we needed to go. And that's key. That's why when I do a bike ride, I like to take people to destinations or businesses because you know what? That's where businesses are. They're located on roads. They have to locate there or they're not going to stay in business if nobody can find them. Tell me about some of the most common misperceptions that you encounter when you're teaching people about riding in Charlotte. You know, what are the reasons you hear when people say, oh, you know, I can't do that. Uh, that's not a practical way for me to get around. Maybe it's a fun thing to do on the weekends, but what are, uh, what are some of the common reasons you hear and, and what do you tell people? Well, they feel like they're going to be run off the road. People are going to be yelling them at them all the time. They're going to be honking their horn at them all the time. And um, I mean, we've done several miles together and 
you know, I'll ask you how many times we go, huh? You know, any of those things happen to you. Yep. They don't zero. happen to me. Yeah, zero. They don't happen to me on a regular basis. They do happen occasionally. But, you know, when that happens, I feel like that's going to happen regardless of whether I'm riding my bike or driving my car. That person in the car is having a bad day and I can't help that. You know, it doesn't matter how I'm, I'm choosing to operate in that travel lane. You know, I could be a pedestrian. They could be honking at me, you know. So that's not my problem. And I don't generally have that issue on a regular basis. And, you know, I lead a lot of bike rides around and people ride with me and, and they'll tell you, you know, that's not the experience that we generally have. But I will say it does happen occasionally. And I would, I would, you know, counter to that. It happens to you when you drive your car too, you know? Yep. I think we've all had plenty of unpleasant situations where, uh, where we're driving you said something uh, the last time we went on a ride, which I thought was uh, insightful, which is maybe I'm going to paraphrase here, but maybe one of the reasons mm -hmm. people are so wound up in their cars is because they're stuck in their cars. Absolutely. I mean, it is uh, frustrating driving around Charlotte these days with all the road construction and water projects and sewer projects and everything else. I mean, you know, you go down one road and or a tree fell down or a power line or somebody, you know, there's a crash and somebody hit a hit a telephone pole down or something like that I mean things happen you know but fortunately on the bike um, it's easy to to get around most of those things but in a car it's much more difficult because you know we have a lot of uh, dead end streets cul-de-sacs um, there's lack of connectivity for motor vehicles now the good thing about bicycles is we have a little bit more connectivity um, those are lesser known and there's not like a uh, map that you can look at that you can zoom in pretty well and that's what I focus in on route planning and that's how I make it strategic to make my route um, very pleasant when we ride somewhere you know I did a route to Huntersville and it was 33 miles and I went the long way because I wanted to make it more pleasant and use some of the greenways and I will use greenways and multi-use paths and everything else when they when they benefit me and they make the ride more pleasant now you know the the short way is to go up um, Statesville Road which is only 22 miles versus 33 miles to uh, Huntersville. And I'll try that one next um, and, and see how it goes. I mean, I may end up using one way going up and one way coming back. You just never know. Yeah. And I don't even like to drive on Statesville road, so I don't know how pleasant that'll be, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you can come with me if you want. <laughs> I don't know. That one might be a little, I might have to stay in South Charlotte. But, uh, yeah, okay. So we asked you to, uh, map your routes for a week, which um, will be online. I wanted to talk some about the practical aspects. Okay. How do you, you know, deal with things like groceries and, uh, and that sort of stuff? Cause that's one thing people hear and they're like, well, yeah, sure. I could get there, but I can't haul all my stuff back. Oh, well, you absolutely can. Now, you know, I, I may shop a little bit differently than you. And, you know, I have, I have had a family of four and now, you know, I'm an empty nester and my kids are off at college, but so I don't have as much, but, you know, depending upon how much you, you need, you know, and I shop at the farmer's market a lot too, but you can't absolutely get everything on your bike. I have two bags on the, uh, or two rear panniers. And I also have a rack on the back. Um, I also have another bag that I can put on the front. Um, I also have a trailer that I can hook up to the back if I need to um, not worry about, you know, will I get it home? But you can fit surprisingly a lot in those uh, two bags in a rack because on the rack, you can put like a big Ikea bag or something like that. 
And um, I actually found one on Providence Road yesterday when I was crossing the street. So now I have a new one. But you can put that on the back rack and you can put a lot of stuff in there, you know, like the big bulky stuff, like the bag of chips or the toilet paper or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, if so you, you, you lost you your can IKEA bag on Providence Road now, people, <laughs> now someone might know where it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I will return it. I just didn't want it to be litter. Um, and, you know, I've offered to loan out the, uh, the trailer to anybody because it's basically like a hand truck that has a hitch mount um, or a rack mount hitch um, on my bike, but you can attach it to your seat post and it's basically two bolts and it'll fit on any bike. Um, and, you know, I have loaned it out to people who want to do Cranksgiving, which is our um, food drive on bikes at Thanksgiving time. And um, you can collect a lot of stuff in there. It has a 50 pound weight limit, but that's um, basically all that you need in terms of groceries, you know. But see, that's a that's a whole nother topic, Eli, about how to carry your stuff. I mean, yeah. you could, <laughs> that's an in depth one. Yeah, I'll do one of those sometimes. And you know, we're having monthly cycling savvy um, um, Zoom meetings, and that's going to be one of our topics in the future because a lot of questions have come up around that. Now, tell me about time aspect of it because I know that's another thing that people say. You know, well, it'll take me too long. Right. And, and that's a misperception because they're thinking about the additional time that it's going to take to ride versus drive. And it will take additional time because obviously you're not going 35 miles an hour, whatever it is. I don't know what your average speed is in town, but if you're a 35 mile an hour speed limit and you're stopping and starting, you're obviously not riding or, you know, going at 35 miles an hour, but you're obviously not doing that on a bike because you're probably only going 10 or 12 miles per hour on average. So, um, you know, but most, most days, and I ride a light is probably like 20 miles a day. So that'll probably take about two hours ride time at 10 miles per hour, which is not a, not a blistering pace, right? Most people would be able to maintain a 10 mile an hour average. I know you can. Um, so when you think about it, that's only two hours out of your day and you're not only getting all of your errands done or your transportation done, but you're also getting your exercise done as well. So if you're driving to the gym or doing Peloton or whatever it is, that's, you've got to add in both of those times um, in terms of time out of your day to accomplish both of these tasks. So you're doing two things at once if you're riding your bike for transportation. So I really don't think it's that much more time um, than people are spending anyway, if you are maintaining a healthy lifestyle, because you're supposed to get, you know, 30, 45 minutes of, uh, physical activity per day. And yeah. you should give that time. You should give that time to yourself, regardless of whether you're riding a bike or walking or running or whatever you need that for your physical and mental health. And how many people do you think are driving to the gym and spending an hour each way driving? Yeah, I know. And that's an hour that could be, you know, more productive, in more than one way, right? I mm -hmm. mean, <laughs> and you're not consuming the fossil fuels to get there. Tell me about the kind of approach you have or philosophy you have about things like bike only lanes, like the one going through Uptown that's recently opened. Uh, I don't wanna label you as a skeptic, but I know you have uh, some different thoughts, some more reservations and subtleties, you know, than, than maybe most people might when they first hear about that. Right, um, bike specific infrastructure can be good or can be bad. It's just like anything else, right? It's just mm -hmm. like a, a, a popsicle could be good or bad for you. 
it, I mean, it could be full of sugar. It could be all fruit, right? But it's still sugar. But it could be good or bad. You have to use it to your advantage when it is beneficial to you. But there are some uh, manufactured conflicts in there that people um, unwittingly may not realize just because they don't know how to read the, you know, uh, potential hazards or conflicts in there that are inherent in these uh, bike specific infrastructure. So for example, um, when a buffered bike lane will pass by a commercial driveway or a parking garage where it's an apartment parking garage or a condo, and there's gonna be a lot of traffic turning in and out. That's a potential hazard. You have to make sure people aren't turning in or out across your path, right? At every, at every intersection, with, intersections are the most dangerous places to be. That's where most of the crashes will take place is at intersections. You are not protected in any way in um, those intersections. So those are potential dangerous places to be because there will be turning traffic. In addition, you're less relevant to the uh, motorized vehicle traffic because they're not used to being able to, or, you know, they're, they're so infrequent. You don't, you're not used to looking for people in a buffered bike lane or a protected cycle track. So tell me a little more about that concept of relevance and how that and related concepts play into safety. Right. You have, you know, when you are a narrow vehicle operating um, in operating your bike where there's other uh, traffic, let's say it's uh, motor vehicles, trucks, buses, mopeds, scooters, whatever, you have to be very defensive, right? Because you have to be seen. But in order to be seen, you have to be relevant. So if you're let me give you an example. We have a high pedestrian fatality uh, ranking. There's been a lot of pet fatalities, and I think you, mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of stories written on that. That's because they're irrelevant to the motor vehicle traffic. They don't look where they need to look to clear, obviously, or these people wouldn't be getting hit and killed. Right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be relevant to the, to the traffic around you. That's a big concept that we talk about in Cycling Savvy is situational awareness. You have to be aware of your situation and make yourself relevant. So in, in addition to being relevant, you know, you want to be, that's why I feel like I'm more visible and relevant in the travel lane, in the general purpose traveling where everybody else is versus somewhere else, because they're not looking for you there. They think you're in your own space. Oh, you're in your own space. I don't need to worry about that. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So as long as you're in your own little space and you're and the vehicles are in their own space, then why do they even care where you are? They're not going to be looking for you. You need to look for them. And there's a lot of places where you're, they're going to be turning across your path. So it could be into that commercial driveway. It could be at any drive at any driveway or intersection. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to increase the need for you as a cyclist to be more defensive and to do a lot more communication and so that they can see you. So in terms of vantage and visibility, you want to see and be seen. You don't want to be screened by other people. So other cities have done, you know, these uh, protected uh, or buffered bike lanes behind parked vehicles. I'm not a tall person, even when I'm sitting on a bike, 
if, if a Tahoe or Tundra or something parked there or a minivan, they're not going to be able to see me when they make that turn. And then you're not, uh, in addition to not being visible, you're also not relevant. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's no way, you know, so I have to be defensive. I have to protect myself so that, you know, I have to, A, be able to see them and B, they need to see me. There's two parties in every crash, right? And so Mm -hmm. we need both parties to be, you know, paying attention. I can do things as a cyclist to be defensive, to make myself more visible and more relevant. And so I can do that by being in the travel lane. So, you know, I use this analogy of driving an invisible car and cycling savvy. That's what I do. I'm driving the invisible car, but it just looks like a bike. So I'm positioning myself where everybody's looking to clear traffic in the same position you would be if you're driving your your vehicle. That's where I want to be positioned as a driver of my bike, which is like an invisible car. And that's why I position myself where I do. And I think it's worked pretty well. I have over 63,000 miles. I have been in one crash. It was not, it was not my fault. They did not clear. So, you know, fortunately it wasn't a, 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 a big deal in terms of, you know, no uh, body damage or anything like that. But um, of course it was terrifying. And that's the one thing you want to prevent, but these mm-hmm. things are going to happen, you know? So, for people who want to learn more, talk about cycling savvy. You know, we mentioned it a few times, right? What is it? What do you do? What do you teach? How does it work? Right. It's a three part course where part one is a classroom presentation where we have a lot of animation and graphics and we go over all the rules of the road. Um, the, uh, you know, what you're supposed to do and, I like to tell people the letter of the law because North Carolina is a contributory negligent state. So you need to know the letter of the law. I never tell people what to do. I want to give them all of their options and I want them to know what the, what the framework is that they're working within. Right. Um, The second part is an on bike skills and drills um, class where we basically make sure everybody's good with their bike handling. They know what the limitations of their bike and their capabilities are. And then part three is we actually go out and we look real time in, you know, so it's not an animation or graphic. It's a real road. This is what it looks like, right? These are the travel lanes. So you can see for yourself and experience for yourself what it's like to ride in those travel lanes versus a multi-use path versus a uh, segregated um, bike lane or what have you. I incorporate all of those things in there because I want you to be able to operate in any space you choose to operate in. You know, you as a bicycle driver are the operator of your vehicle and you have to decide what's best for you at that time. It's situational. It's that situational awareness we talked about. So I want to give you the tools so that you can decide what is best for you at that time to keep yourself as safe as possible, because I want you to have a good experience. That's the whole reason I do all of the rides and the cycling Saturday class, because I want people to see the possibility. I want them, and after you go for a ride, you'll see it's not scary and it's not death defying. It's, it, you know, bottom line, it's just a lot of fun. So I think there's this kind of contradiction, uh, which is it can seem like it's really daunting and complicated, but it's also really simple. Um, it is. Yeah. Tell me about how you approach that. It is really simple when you, when you put the time and effort into doing the, that three-part course, 
um, and you know what to look for. It's like reading a different language, right? So we're reading the language of uh, traffic patterns and signal timing and, you know, traffic is very predictable and we just say, okay, here's what traffic usually does. And think of yourself as a motor vehicle driver, what you would do and let's use that to our advantage, right? So in terms of making you visible, predictable and relevant, and we teach you how to communicate with other people, other drivers on the road, whether they're in a, you know, a truck, a bus, a car or scooter or another cyclist or a pedestrian. So we teach you to communicate with all those people and, and learn how to operate within that environment by learning how to read all of these uh, cues that come up in every situation. So for people who are, you know, maybe they have an old bike and they haven't ridden it in a long time and they want to do more, what would you suggest for, you know, kind of getting started in Charlotte? Well, I would do some rides, you know, ride around your neighborhood, get comfortable. If you're not comfortable riding in your neighborhood, ride on a uh, greenway or, you know, just around the block or something like that. Um, I do a Tuesday night ride every week. Um, they're always welcome to join that. It's 15 miles. We actually regroup um, if we need to every two miles. Um, and then I would do Cycling Savvy. And I would encourage people to do that sooner rather than later because I don't want you to have a bad experience. I want you to have a good experience. And I think that if you did that, you'd have a better experience and avoid all the bad experiences. I've seen so many people say, I'm not ready to do it. They go off on their own. They have a bad experience. They put the bike in the garage for a couple of years and then it'll take them a while to come back. You know, And I don't want them to have that experience. There's a lot of bikes in garages because of bad experiences. And hopefully there's something that they can come and learn um, either in terms of bike handling or strategy or techniques or something like that, that could improve their experience. And, and that's what I want to do is give people that opportunity. And when you talk to people who are, um, you know, kind of just really skeptical that a bike can be more than recreation in particular, that it can be a practical tool to get around, um, What's your, what's your overall message for them? Because the, rec um, the recreation is good, but I think right. that's only a small part of it in the way it you is a small it. part of it. But, you know, I would encourage people to, you know, go to their grocery store or, you know, go to some close by destination, whether it's for coffee or lunch or grocery store, or pick up something, um, a sandwich down the street or something like that, just try it. Um, if you need a route, I'll be glad to do a route for you. I'd be glad to ride it with you the first time, you know, um, reach out. And um, there's so many resources out there. You know, we didn't touch, you know, I talked about route planning, but, you know, in Charlotte, in addition to Google Maps, which is excellent, you know, that's a tool that we didn't have, you know, 20, 50 years ago, but there's an Explore Charlotte map that you can turn on the, Department of Tra Transportation layer, and you can see where every light is, every road hump is, every um, bike lane is, every multi-use path. You can see all of that stuff. And I can show you how to do that. I'll do a route planning session um, if people want to and go through those types of things to learn how to, you know, problem solve um, building your route from wherever you are. Because, you know, like, like, let's say you live off of Providence. They're like, well, I have to cross the street. How do I do that? 
yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll explain how to do that and demonstrate it to show you it's not hard. Because it sounds it sounds harder than it is. And it when does. you're in a car, yeah, <laughs> it, it looks different than when you're riding a bike. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. I I think uh especially the first few times it is it can be pretty intimidating. It looks unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. It is. But I mean, and I want you to share your experience of riding around because I think that that's important. So people understand that even from, uh, you know, it's not me just because I'm experienced. I mean, I've been riding daily for over 10 years. It's not easy only for me. It's easy for other people when they see it, they just have to actually do it. Yeah. They have to see it. They have to see it from the seat of a bike, not from their car. It's different. Yeah. And I'm a mostly uh, recreational rider who can definitely attest that that is true. Um, it's different when you get out there and, and see it and really far less intimidating than I had worried about. Right, right. And I think that what helped that is because I was doing a lot of communicating. I did some route planning and I knew how to do it. And I can I can take anybody on a ride and basically have a very good experience. The key thing is, is, is just to... Make sure people are not dependent on bike-specific infrastructure or greenways. I think that they're great, but you cannot get everywhere you need to go using only those things. You're going to have to use know how to use a travel lane eventually or how to cross the street, and that's what I want to uh, teach you how to do. That's why education is so important. Education is just as important as advocating for all of the other bike specific stuff. And probably more so. If you look at um, lane miles or whatever it is, you're gonna use more travel lanes, whether you want to use them or not, then you're gonna use any other bike specific infrastructure. So of course we're gonna be supported and of course we're gonna be excited about the cross Charlotte trail, the greenways, um, the protected cycle track uptown, um, of course, we're going to be interested in that, but those things are like, you know, a mile or two here and there, right? The Cross Charlotte Trail, I think when it's finished, is going to be 30 miles or something like that. You know, I built a route that's uh, 72 miles that'll hit the Cross Charlotte Trail in addition to a lot of the other greenways. And so, you know, you can do it and you can do it comfortably if you just use a good route and have some bike handling skills and have some um, strategy in there. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, if we are smart and savvy, we can do it comfortably and actually right. get places besides just or riding around recreationally. Right. I mean, because what most people do, and, and, you know, this is another thing that we can talk about, you know, Park and Rec is spending a lot of money on those parking lots mm-hmm. because that's what people do. They drive to the Greenway. And, you know, for me, I want the money to be spent on the on the Greenway not on the parking lot to drive to the Greenway. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much money that is, but I know it's a lot because parking lots cost a lot of money. Yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah, and I'm not saying you you know, you know have to eliminate them, but I mean, you just have to kind of put that in perspective. You know, when we're talking about uh, education, people say, oh, well, nobody's going to do it. But, you know, if you, if you put a little bit of money into education, you would have to, you wouldn't need to build as many parking lots and education is so cheap. I mean, you know, the three part course, which is 10 hours is $95 per person. It sounds like a big time investment, but you know, um, 
think about all the time it's going to save you from not driving your car and filling up your car. I mean, that's what two mm-hmm. fill ups or something. So, or an avoidance of an ER trip, you know, or bad experience. Yeah, then you're talking some serious savings. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate it, share it with your friends, and keep looking to the future, Charlotte.